Hey everybody, Scott Burnside here, and welcome back to another edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. And Pierre Lebrun, as always, actually, he's already been up for several hours, home from hockey practice already in Toronto. And joining us, our old pal, longtime colleague, and the master of his own podcast, the Full 60, Craig Custance in Detroit. Craig, welcome. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. I appreciate the the plug, even though we're rival podcasts. I'm even going to record later today and, and make sure I launch right at the same time when you release this. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted, well, I wanted to ask you, it, when you appear on Two Man Advantage with Pierre and I, is yeah. it like Austin Matthews getting a call one day and saying, okay, you got to go and play a game down with the Marlies? Is that... <laughs> Is that what it's like when you no, join us? Not, not at all. This is this is the big leagues. I'm happy to be here. All right. Well, let's get on. Let's get on to liar. the liar. He's such a liar. <laughs> all right. Well, let's start with the important news of the day. Um, the question is whether Craig and I should start Derek Carr or Jameis Winston <laughs> in our semifinal game in the Media Hacks football pool. And, and Pierre, I wonder if you have a thought on that. Mm-hmm. I have a big game myself, uh, a little $50 bet with David Schultz at the Globe and Mail. Uh, so n- not a great start for me. Uh, Tyree Kill kind of limited last night. So I can yeah. actually hear people fast forwarding right now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, <clears throat> Well, and, and of course, I only bring it up because the backdrop is that Craig and I managed to sneak by Pierre last week. So that was, that's, you know, the, 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 and the thing that, that befuddles me about you guys in this pool is that you don't, you guys are kind of like, you go around kind of blindly in, in that pool <laughs> and don't, and do the weirdest things and still end up winning sometimes. That's, which, that's which, so which, wrong. Which, no, this which, is, which, which, which is actually, it tells you everything about, you need to know about fantasy football. Really, there, yeah, every yeah. we're just two steps ahead of everybody else. There, Scott and I are yeah. constantly communicating about what can we do to be to peak at this time of year, and yeah. <laughs> and it may look like we're chasing our tail at times, but yeah, here we are. zero chance. Well, that's true. That's it. Well, I, I tell you, it's a, it's a good. I'm creating my own segue here, but there was some minor controversy in the league that Pierre runs over the playoff format. Uh, but uh, next week uh, we'll uh, we'll be able to tell you whether the format worked out or not. Uh, but it's interesting because I, I and I don't uh, Pierre. I don't know whether you have a sense of why it sort of percolated to the top. I mean, I know the board of governors of the National Hockey League met uh, not long ago in Seaside, Georgia. Um, and and you have written extensively on this this notion of of what to do if anything about the NHL playoff system. Uh, Stephen Stamkos mentioned it uh, in uh, Toronto this week when the NHL's in best Tampa. team in Tampa, in, actually. Oh, it was in Tampa. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Uh, before a game with the Toronto Maple Leafs about the playoff system uh, and a lot of discussion. Uh, Carolina Hurricanes owner Tom Dundon uh, talking this week to a local business magazine in the uh, Raleigh area. And m- among the topics he covered, you know, he'd like to see an expanded NHL playoff uh, format. Now, there are two issues, right? It's the the system that we currently have in place and how the, the division uh, matchups are set up. And then the whole issue of whether we should be expanding, whether there should be more than 16 teams in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And let's start with you, Pierre. Is, there, is this just a cyclical thing? You know, we, you know, we hear about it periodically. Or do you think this is something that's actually... You know, we're at a point in time where we're, this is actually something that is going to build momentum and, we're, and, and we'll get some sort of you know, long-term clarity on whether it's going to happen and what form it might take. I think you're under a minute and a half for your opening question, so that's not bad. <laughs> I, had the, I had the over-under at two, so you're, you're, getting, you're, you're getting a little it's tired. It's really it's tight today. I it's, like this. It's, it's a monologue. It's not a question. Can, can I just tell you that your chances of ever being a TV host are literally 1%? I mean, there's like, there's no chance, like at zero this stage at this stage in my career. That's something I'm pretty comfortable with. I, I, I've come to grips with that. I, I'm at peace with it. I don't know. I'm pretty handsome. Anyway, right do you now. have an, All right. do you have an yeah. answer? Well, I don't, I'm trying to remember the question now. Um, <laughs> so no, listen, I mean, I, I, there isn't really any momentum for this, but I think it's just that, you know, the, there are governors who have talked about it. And I mean, I like to say I'm, I'm partly the blame for all of this because last March when I pulled the 30 GMs. I think people at the league uh, <laughs> were so angry with me, but you know there was that majority of GMs, if you remember, in that poll that said, "Yeah, let's let's expand the playoff format." Which, you know, a lot of people reacted, "Well, what else are GMs going to say?" Of course, they want a better chance of making the playoffs. <laughs> but, and I remember at the time thinking, and at the time I did quote Gary Bettman, and he, you know, absolutely brushed it aside and said zero interest in in that notion. Um, 
so that was last March when I wrote that piece. And then, you know, this year it's percolated here and there again. There are grumblings and governors and so on. It wasn't really front and center in Sea Island, Georgia. It really wasn't. It, it, it's it's really one of those things where if you're, as a media person, if you're looking for someone to comment on it, you're going to find it. And really, if you're asking why it's percolated again, it's because this is really the first time an owner has gone on the record and Tom Dundon and talked about it. And... Um, you know, he, he talked about it in an interview with Dave Festchuk of the Toronto Star this week. And then he came on the next day on our radio show, Leafs Lunch, uh, hosted by Angie Petrillo, uh, which I was co-hosting that day with Dave Festchuk, and doubled down, talked again about why he believes um, the, the playoff format should be expanded. Very respectful of the commissioner, understands that the commissioner doesn't like his idea, but says basically he has to find a very diplomatic way over the next few years to, uh, to sway the commissioner which is really where it starts. But the reason it's significant this week is that you have an owner on the record espousing this thought. That's a, that's, that, that's a whole step up from having 30 GMs. I think I had 24 out of 30 GMs that were in favor of it last March. Yeah. Craig, are you, in, are you in favor? Do you like, what do you, where do you stand on this? Because it, it really is, it's, I don't want to overstate it. It's sort of a motherhood kind of thing, right? You got 16 teams in the playoffs. I mean, we've gone from a period of time back in the day, and it's almost it's so hard to imagine this actually happened. But at one point, we had 16 of 21 teams making the playoffs. Now we have 16 of 31, soon to be 32 teams. Uh, it, it's sort of, you know, where, where do you stand on it? Is this something that we should be entertaining? Is it good for the game? Or, or is, is it important really to hold firm and say, listen, if you can't be in the top eight in your conference, if you can't be one of those 16, then you don't deserve to be in the playoffs. Yeah. Well, here's where I am. I, you know, like you guys, I'm sure, watching that lightning t- Toronto game last night and, and thinking to myself, this can't be the Eastern Conference final. First of all, so that was flawed to me. And second of all, yeah, um, you know, so so I'm already I'm already ready for a change in format. Even if we're not adding teams, I think it's time to to change the format and mix things up. We've been in this the the current system long enough, mm-hmm. and, and and we've seen it enough times where it's been like, oh gosh, it, there's going to be just a monster matchup in the second round that that would be a way better conference final. So there's that to me would be the priority. But it, the comparison I'll make, it's almost like you guys know how agents like to use like percentage of cap with with contracts so jonathan john you know tave signs for whatever ten and a half and it's percentage of cap rather than using the ten and a half as the cap goes up you want to you want the salary to go up to be the same percentage to me it's the same thing we're there's gonna be 32 teams in the league now and so percentage of teams that makes the playoffs every time this league expands it's going down and i, I think it's completely reasonable to say we want to keep it at, at that same you know a similar percentage and, and expand this thing like who's who's mad about more playoff hockey? I don't like. Well, at the I think, worst uh, playing play game. Yeah. Like, like I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I would start with the the playing game for sure. But there's, there's a lot to unpack here. You know, when I talked to Gary Bettman about it last March for that piece, I think part of his reasoning that he was against it is that he felt it would devalue what he believes is an incredible race in the regular season. That every regular season game matters more than it ever has before. And actually, there's some merit in that argument that the games in October matter. I think that's true if you're trying to make the playoffs. Um, But I think the playing game would be a great way to go about it because the way I would spin it PR-wise is I would say, you know, eight versus nine on each side. And it's not the start of the playoffs. It's a play-in to be able to get into the 16. So you're you're protecting, you know, the, 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 the sort of the, you know, the mystique of the 16 while still having, still adding a layer to it. Um, now, Tom Dundon wants to do way more than that, but I think that would be a way in. But the most important thing of all, and I tweeted this yesterday because I think people need to understand this, is that this has a lot to do, I think, with the CBA. At the end of the day, you know, if, if the players want expanded playoffs, this suddenly becomes a bargaining chip in the next round of negotiation. So you should always start every discussion and <laughs> debate everything to do with this league with that and, and yeah but it's an owner mind. it's an owner who's now on the record saying he wants it so if i'm the players i'm like hey this is your guy this isn't us yeah. correct absolutely right <clears throat> but i don't like I, I guess i don't understand I, I get i get why 
GMs and owners want to expand the playoffs, right? Because you've, because of the parody, and we talk about this on the podcast often, that the parody has never been what it was. And so you have a situation where, you know, like a year ago where Colorado and St. Louis play 81 games and they play basically a play in game in game 82 to see who makes the playoffs. And, and the loss by the St. Louis blues in that game cost them literally millions of dollars. And for Dallas to go winless in eight in March literally cost that team, even though they started a road trip uh, with an 80% probability of making the playoffs and then fell off the, the, the wagon and finished, I think three points out of a playoff spot that literally cost uh, Tom Gallardi and the Dallas stars millions of dollars. So I get the idea of wanting to play, have you know, sort of open it up to open up the possibilities for, for more teams to a play playoff games or have an opportunity to get in. But doesn't that devalue even your play in game? Doesn't that devalue 82 games of hard work? And like, I, I don't understand the whole baseball thing. You play 162 games and you play one game to decide whether you make the playoffs or not. Like, I don't see does, isn't that the ultimate devaluer uh, to play a one game? So, you know, how do you, how do you get around that, Pierre? Like, how did how do you how do you expand it without devaluing the eighty-two game regular season slate? I think I just explained myself beforehand. You weren't listening. Well, I was listening, but it made no <laughs> sense to me. I, I would like you to come up with a better argument for why it should go that way. Yeah. Can I just say, I, like, I don't know how TV contracts work, so I'm gonna. That's my preface here. But if we're worried about losing money, uh, certainly selling two wildcard play-in games as a separate TV package to ESPN or whoever, uh, the Athletic, we can put it on our app. That you know, I, we're, that's a whole another area of revenue generating. And and if you want to split that on you know among the teams or however you want to do that, I th- I think you're leaving money on the table too if you're talking about finances. And I don't uh, think it you know, does. I, I don't I, think it does. I, like. Like you said, Scott, there's always that game at the end of the year that it comes down to that one game, and that's not going to change. There's going to be that one game that gets you into the play-in game. Like that's still a regular season game that's going to have value. Yeah, no question. And and the key is to find the right the right balance. I mean, you don't want to go back to 16 of 21 in the 80s. I'm just looking at my old NHL guide record book here. The Leafs in 1987-88 made the playoffs with 52 points in 80 games. <laughs> <laughs> in the old divisional format, the old Snorris division days. So it, it, it's harder to make the playoffs now, which is a good thing. But I think the play-in game is a perfect solution uh, at this point. And one of the things that this could bring, A, I agree with Craig. Let's go back to, to 1-8 um, and get away from this silly wild card thing and playing the be- you know having the best two teams in, in the conference playing in the second round. But also... You know, we could. I think the league could use, and the next CBA use a whole realignment playoff format uh, discussion to change the schedule a bit. I mean, I mean, let's let's cut some preseason games. Let's get going with regular season hockey earlier in the year, and Amen. and 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 that way you can expand a bit at the end of the year with a bit of, a bit more playoff. Yeah, Craig. I know you, Craig. You talked about this right off the hop, and and I don't know whether you guys are getting a sense that, uh, you know, there is a, a movement. And knowing that Gary Bettman isn't really, he doesn't want to entertain expanding the playoff pool, but I wonder if there is more and more pressure being brought to bear to change the current system. And and Craig, you alluded to watching Tampa, Toronto, terrific game. Andre Vasilevsky, unbelievable in his return from injury. Two best teams uh, in the Eastern Conference. I'm just looking at the standings now to see how close they are with the West. And arguably the two best teams in the NHL. But right now, the top three teams in the Eastern Conference all reside in the Atlantic. And in fact, five of the top six teams in the uh, Eastern Conference are from the Atlantic. And what the current system sets up is um, the fact that uh, at least one, maybe two of those teams will be gone by the end of the second round um, and and sets up a system where you might be, you know, if you're in the Atlantic division, you're, you're, you're better placed to be a wildcard team and cross over and play in the Metro. And that that's just, just, just wrong. And, and Craig, I wonder if you get a sense you know, is there enough pressure being brought to bear that we could see a change 
and maybe with Seattle coming in, that's the perfect door to 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 readdress these issues. Yeah, I think so. So along the lines of what Pierre did last year, I remember at the All Star game, I, I talked to players and coaches that were there, and then did just you know kind of a quick straw poll of GMs just on this. Like, would you be open to this conversation of changing the format, not necessarily expansion of the playoffs? And there definitely was an appetite for it. And I just remember talking to Barry Trotz, who you know at the time hadn't won a cup yet, but. He, he, like he's like, look, this isn't sour grapes here, but you know you shouldn't win the president's trophy and then have to play the second best team in the league in round two. Like yeah. that's that's you talk about devaluing the regular season. I mean, that's then then what are you playing for other than you know that that seating in the first round? So I I I, I certainly think that now every single year we can point to an example of almost like a uh, an injustice in in the playoff schedule and say okay I, and I know GMs are feeling the same way and I'm sure coaches and we heard Steven Stamkos I, I don't know you know how much pressure is being applied on this because I think I wrote mine and in lead into a GM's meeting saying you know expect this to be on the on the agenda and I don't think it was because no not know, at all it, yeah. right it, it was like GMs were like yeah they got and part of it was maybe we're just riling them up by asking them and they're like yeah I'll bring this up and so you're like and then it doesn't even come up so I don't know how much of it is us kind of clamoring for change and then when it push comes to shove they have other priorities yeah and and, and again let's stress some important uh, layers here number one changing the format and expanding the playoffs are not one and the same. Right. And exactly. Again, going yes. back to, so I think there's way more of an appetite for the format change than there is for expanding the playoffs, or at least again, let's deal with what we know. Cause Scotty, I'm not trying to correct you, but you said there's an appetite among GMs and owners to expand the playoffs. There's an appetite among GMs. We don't know if there's an, a, an appetite among owners. There's one owner that we know of that wants to expand the playoff format the, the, the hard thing about this league is truly knowing what 31 owners think because I've tried this many times, especially on CBA stuff. Uh, I remember texting uh, six owners in September for my CBA uh, thing that I wrote for The Athletic, and uh, I got an email back from a league official saying, stop texting our owners. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. so it, you don't really know outside of Tom Dundon if there are other owners or if there's a, many owners that feel the same way as him, right? I mean, really I think don't. It, you know, it comes down to Pierre to me, like, does Gary Bettman want it? And Correct. That, and so, you know, and, and I'm looking at this old piece I wrote last year, and Gary Bettman talked about expansion, during, and he was, like, adamantly against it, like, of the playoffs. He's he, yeah. has, he doesn't seem to have any interest in that. And that remains a sentiment, by the way. Yeah. Right. And so, but, yeah. So, it, typically, if he's not for something, it, you know, uh, usually isn't going to go anywhere. I would only say that in having sat down with Gary Bettman before his induction in the Hall of Fame, to me, one of you know the one the one area that that well, stands. Well, no, but <laughs> I know, yeah. I, well, it did it did happen? So I'm just telling you about it. And in fact, if I could put a link in here now, so to drive up subscriptions, I would do that. But you could go back and read the story if you wanted to. But at the, the one interesting part is, and, and Craig, you're right, right? I mean, this it's Gary's world, right? I mean, the rest of the owners basically live in it. But the, the one area that Gary was steadfastly against, and yet which became part of the, the NHL life, was a video review. And, and so I guess what I'm saying is he he is someone who constantly is taking the pulse of of the owners and the GMs and the people you know that for whom he all you know ostensibly works and it, if he doesn't agree with it he still went through you know video review became a real thing and of course all of the issues that Gary Bettman was concerned about became reality and it became a Pandora's box uh, which we're still sort of sorting through but I'm just saying that if there is enough will, even though he might not like it, at some point Gary Bettman will 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 agree to make changes, even if he's not totally on board. But I would, it you know what, Scotty? Though I would almost argue argue in light of that in the review where he's like, "See, guys, I was against <laughs> yeah. it. And told, you. Disaster, yeah. I told you, I told you. Now you're gonna, you guys are gonna, you know, I don't believe this is necessary, and you guys want to do this again? Okay, but you know, remember last yeah. time. But again, to put a final point on this. Uh, when I wrote the piece last March, I got a text from a governor saying, you know, this is 10 levels off the record. Do not quote me as a source. But he said, you know, so I'll share it now since it's almost a year later. Um, <laughs> but you can use it. In the podcast. Of limitation. No, no, no. The, the point was, he, <laughs> the point was he didn't want to be, didn't want his yeah. team uh, quoted. But he said, this is a, this, this is something about, this is about the CBA is what he said mm -hmm. to me. This is about the next round of negotiation. 
And this is something that if the players want it, then this is something the league could certainly try to figure out an angle on. At the end of the day, if the players want playoff expansion, obviously if I was Don Fear in the HLPA, I would argue this isn't about us wanting something and we have to give you something back. This is something that we believe your GMs want, some of your owners potentially want, and it's good for the game. That, that's, that's the way I would position it if I were the players. Yeah. Um, so it, I can't, it's going to be exciting because Jason Botterill, the GM of the Buffalo Sabres is going to join us in the, in the second segment, but, um, Pierre, you've alluded to it in the, the, the introduction of Seattle as team 32 and I don't know whether anyone anticipated way back when Vegas was just starting to, uh, enter into the expansion process that the cottage industry of what will the whole expansion uh, draft protected list like it has become something that fans and media everywhere are are are, are consumed with and, and we saw it this week with the athletic clearly uh, pierre is now redoing his plumbing while i ans- i asked no this i i I'm, I'm i'm changing my rooms i'm leaving my office because as my uh, two-year-old uh, i'm in the midst of a two-year reno as you guys know in my yeah, house no, i know that Th- yeah. this happens all the time on tv on- Happens all the time on TSN radio, but uh, so I'm trying to find a quieter place here. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, I, I just wonder if 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 anyone really anticipated how the uh, parsing through the the potential expansion drafts would be the cottage industry that it's become, and and Seattle, even though they aren't going to start playing until 2021, so the draft will be uh, in the in June, presumably of 2021, that it that it's already become such. A hot topic, and and Craig, is that does it surprise you, or is like to me, it's so much fun now because that's it's going to that's going to be a storyline that 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 moves through uh, the entire league for the next year and a half. Yeah, I thought so. Eric Duhatchik kind of ran point on this project that we did at the Athletic uh, in identifying what a Seattle roster might look like, and Scotty, you and I both picked rosters off of our writers' protected lists, and it was, I thought it was really. It was a really useful exercise, you know, besides the fact that we're two years out or whatever. But one, you know, Eric Duhatchik in his leads, he wrote about George McPhee saying, yes, we, we started doing this this far out almost once a month or whatever he said, because it became really valuable about who we should start um, scouting as a group and which teams were going to have problems in, in different positions. And that, to me, became the really interesting thing in, in doing it this early. And again, yeah, yeah, like our the eventual list is going to look nothing like this. But it also helped us sit there and go, boy, the Nashville Predators are going to have a real issue. Or maybe the Red Wings don't want to bring up Philip Zadina to get the clock ticking on on having to protect him. And and any number of issues that that are important right now, not two years from now. And so I, I love doing that exercise. And, and it was it was fun to do. And I also, also thought it was kind of productive to do. Yeah, I'm not so convinced, I have to say. I, I, I think we're about a year ahead of when we should have been doing this, but I get it. It's fun. The fans love it. So that's why I'm glad that we did it. But I interviewed George McPhee yesterday and he, I think he kind of took a dig at us. <laughs> he said, he said in the interview, if you read my piece today on the athletic, that he's not exactly sure why people are trying to put their list together now because they're going to change a million times. So, uh, obviously he must be reading, but the point he made is that, uh, their first list that they did eight months from from their final list only had four names left on it, which is remarkable. Yeah. And, and the reason for it, of course, is that within those eight months, teams were doing all kinds of things to change their protective list and their strategy, right? They were signing guys, trading guys. all So many things happen. Plus, as, as McPhee said, their own evaluation of the players that they ultimately wanted also changed throughout those eight months. But within eight months, four players left from their original mock draft. And we're trying to figure this out two and a half years out. Now, I, I think what's valuable in it is, is I think you tweeted that, Craig, is that you identified trends right. and, and, and things like that. But the actual names that ended up on people's rosters, come oh, on, yeah. no, zero no, chance. There's no chance. Like, I mean, come on. No, to me, it was it was just hot spot. It was, look, there's there's way more defensemen available than forwards. There's, right. you know, there's four or five teams that are probably going to have to make a move. And, and it was funny because as I was doing this, just chatting with somebody uh, in uh, on a team, and he said, "Look, if you look back at the moves that were made um, leading into the Vegas one, 
you probably don't want to do any of those if you're the team. And he's right. like, look, I, and this is what I kind of convinced our management group was if you start giving up two, three assets to protect one player, now you're losing two or three assets. He's just like, let's just take our medicine, expose you know a few players, and we're going to lose one player. And I, looking back at it, that's probably the move rather than, you know, totally making uh, multiple moves there to, to try to preempt something. Now I, I, I said that to George McPhee and I will say he's buying none of this narrative that we've created already. Right. We've created this early narrative that Seattle's up against it, that teams are wiser, that there's going to be fewer side trades, all this stuff. And McPhee would have none of it. He goes, who knows? He said they might do better than us. And he means it. He's not, he's not being respectful. He, he, just, he thinks it's ridiculous again, that we're, that we have our hands around this and we know exactly how this is going to play out. But well, again, I don't think anybody's contending we know exactly how it's going to play out, George. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we're just looking ahead. <laughs> yeah, we, I, in fact, well, I think we made a joke, like, none of this is going to happen. Like, this roster here is not going to happen. Like, Yeah, no, no but, but not just that. He, he, he's. I think what he was saying is, like, who's to say these teams won't do all these side deals at the right. end of the oh, day when, they're, when, when suddenly in two years a team that thought they were a contender, now they're rebuilding, now there's pressure, their strategy changes at the last minute. That's what George was saying, but where he, where George went rather quiet is the most interesting angle of all, and I know you guys have thought about this too, is the fact that Vegas, because they're exempt of this process with Seattle, can sit there and completely be a meddler this time around. I mean, I, I am so fascinated by this angle where teams might use Vegas as an outlet to navigate around the Seattle expansion draft which was not an option for teams in the Vegas process, right? I mean, there was not well, a team sitting there in the middle of it. Well, I wonder if, if the NHL, if they had a do-over, you know, if quietly, if especially given the success that the Golden Knights have enjoyed on every level, right? I mean, the, the, the franchise has just been, and having just come back from Vegas, you're reminded of just how incredible the impact that, uh, team has had on that community in such a short period of time. I wonder, you know, if the NHL had to do over, would they give the the Golden Knights a pass on this expansion draft? Uh, because it really does, Pierre, and you wrote about this, and it, it really does give Vegas yet another mm-hmm. terrific mm-hmm. advantage, right? It was a huge, oh, this is a time. huge bonus for them. And I wonder if the NHL is like, geez, we we were way too nice to them, um, not even not even in terms of the how the rules of the expansion draft, which were very liberal, but even in this specific case, allowing right. them to be exempt from it, like what a what a great treat for George well, McKean. You're, you're right. Especially with the extra year, by the way, now that right. they're not starting till twenty one, that's what's going to happen to Seattle here potentially. Is that if they if, you know if a team gets frustrated that they can't swing a side deal to protect a certain guy. They can now go to Vegas and work something out. That's what's interesting about this one. So what's to stop Vegas from saying, we'll take James Neal for a third-round pick for like a month and we'll send him back to you? Well, I think on that one, the league is going to have language <laughs> for that. Yeah. No, no, seriously. Right. I mean, I, I, no, there, there will be language. In fact, there was language in the original expansion rules about that stuff too. But nothing stops Vegas from making a bonafide deal. Yeah. Like if Vegas likes a player and knows that that player is going to go for free to Seattle and that team's frustrated, they can jump in. I mean, that's what's fascinating about this. Now, do you do you think, hey guys, Craig, let me ask to, you, because were you surprised by it? And even guys, if none of those names show up, but do you, like I still think Seattle's going to be, to me, Seattle's still going to be in a great spot. They're still going to get good players. And to me, just before you answer that question. Yeah. We're going to be able to welcome in Jason Botterill, the GM of the Buffalo Sabres. Maybe we would drag him into this conversation, too. <laughs> uh, but this is a good break, and uh, so we will stop the first segment of Two Men Advantage, the podcast right here. But don't go away, because we'll come right back with the three of us and Jason Botterill of the Buffalo Sabres. So hang on for just a minute. All right, everybody, here we go. As promised, back for the second segment, Two-Man Advantage, the podcast, and very pleased to welcome Jason Botterill, the GM of the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, Jason, welcome, and you've got Craig Custins, you've got Pierre Lebrun, you've got Scott Burnside. Do you feel a bit overwhelmed? That it's, it's okay if you do. <laughs> well, it's always difficult talking to uh, especially Michigan State alumnus, but, oh, wow. uh, you know, I'll, I'll oh. try to make it through this conversation here. <laughs> Could you make sure you use lots of small words, Jason, please. I know, I know, definitely. 
Well, Jason, let's start with with the obvious one of one of the great stories in in the NHL season uh, this year, and that is the play of your Buffalo Sabres. As we're chatting here, nineteen nine and four, your forty two points are tied for fourth best in the NHL. You have the third best record in the Eastern Conference, and and I wonder if there's a way, you know, maybe to describe what it's been like for you to see. The, the buzz around this team, it's been a long time in Buffalo that, that there's been this kind of excitement around the team and the, and the anticipation for what's going on with this team. And I'm wondering, is it a surprise to you or maybe just what the what it's been like for you to watch this all unfold during the first third of this uh, NHL season? Well, I, I think it's something that, uh, you know, as an organization, we're proud of, of what, what we've accomplished here in the first part of the season. Understand that we have uh, still a lot of work to, ahead of us here, but uh, we, we've always known we've had great fans and you just look at uh, even our fan support at the start of the season after what's transpired here over the last seven or eight years, uh, them still coming out. And then for us now, especially in the month of November, being able to give them something to cheer about uh, has certainly been exciting. And uh, especially people talk a lot about the, the 10 game winning streak in November. Um, but I felt there was two games right around American Thanksgiving there. Um, you know, the Wednesday against Philadelphia and the Friday against Montreal uh, the the fr- Wednesday game against Philly, we had a great start, up four nothing in the first period. The Friday game, we scored a goal late against Montreal to tie it. Then Jeff Skinner scored a, in overtime uh, to win it. And just the excitement in the building and the enthusiasm, and uh, um, we always knew it was there. And uh, I think the the fans appreciate um, the work ethic of this team right now, uh, and sort of the, the the speed that the team's playing with, but also the enthusiasm and passion they're playing with. And uh, you know, I think everyone starts to ask, like, what is the one thing that's sort of turning around? There's never just one thing. Um, and I think it, what's, what's rewarding with this team right now is that everyone is contributing. Um, the new veteran players that have come in, whether it's a Sabaka or a Hutton or a Shiri, they've got they've brought a great work ethic to practice to show some of our young players and a really sort of calming influence in all these tight games. Um, the young players that we've brought in, Darlene, Middlestat, Cage Thompson, uh, they've brought excitement, skill to our team, and I think have invigorated some of our veteran players. And then wow. we did chat, we did challenge a lot of our sort of returning players, um, Eichel, Ristolainen, and Ryan Hart, McCabe, these type of players, and to, to do some things differently in the summer. Uh, they certainly did that, and uh, uh, they've really bought into what we've tried to tried to create here and stuff. And uh, you can just see it; uh, they've gone through some difficult uh, seasons here in Buffalo. And I, I think they're really enjoying the winning here too. Well, Jason, you mentioned how excited the fans are. And I, I could tell from social media that a lot of your fans are dreaming up some trade scenarios ahead of the trade deadline in February. <laughs> and, 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 and I know this is where you have to balance the, the here and now with, with your vision for this team moving forward past this. And you happen to have uh, not only your two first round picks for your own team in the next two years, but also St. Louis, first round pick from the O'Reilly deal and also the, the first round pick from the San Jose Sharks from the Evander Kane deal. Um, what's the temptation there and, 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 and how do you balance uh, the excitement of the moment with what, what your plan is? Well, look, it, like from our fan perspective, like that's great. I'm glad that they're looking at those things and they're enthusiastic for our team and always looking uh, for different ways in their own minds to improve our team. But, <laughs> you know, the way we, the way we see it right now is that, you know, we're still, we're still not one player away from uh, being in, in the category of some elite teams in this league. Um, so it, it, it's a situation where uh, we know how valuable these first round picks are. And we're excited that, uh, you know, we're going to have them over the next couple of years here. Our amateur staff is working very hard uh, at, uh, you know, making sure we get the right order from that standpoint. Um, you know, look, it's, it's always a situation where we're going to be looking. Uh, we're never going to say that we won't put them in a deal. Uh, but I don't see it as a as a rental situation. If it's for a, a young NHL player, we certainly will look at that. Um, mm-hmm. But what gets us excited, especially in the second half, is just the continued development of our young players. And people will focus in on Darlene and Millsat Tom and Tage Thompson, the, the young players that we have in the National Hockey League. Um, we also look at <laughs> you know our young stars such as Eichel, Reinhardt, uh, Ristolainen. We still believe there's a lot of development with them that can come on here in the mm-hmm. second half. And then the second part of it is is that you know, we have some players in Rochester that we're very proud of and excited about down the road. And, uh, you know, the fact that 
Um, our two minor league teams, both Rochester and Cincinnati in the ECHL, are both in first place right now. Um, they're learning how to win down there, uh, which is a great situation. And we think in the second half, some of these players can come in and, and give us a spark. And, yeah, are the players down there going to step in and play top six role or top four role? Probably not on a consistent basis. But we also think they can contribute to help us, you know, hopefully making a playoff push. Jason, you mentioned that you you had a message to to the guys coming back. I'd be curious what the message to Jack Eichel was because he's been pretty unbelievable for you guys, and there seemed to be a comfort level. We saw him at the Players Tour right before the season, and I, I saw really a guy really comfortable in his skin. And Scott can attest to this. Like he he was having fun, but he was also like really excited about the opportunity this year. What what was the message to him, and what are you, what are you saying from Jack? Well, I, I completely agree with you. Like how he's playing right now and the pace that he's playing out mm-hmm. there um it's it's a joy to watch and uh you look at you look at all the stats and like it's not just offensive zone starts you're doing it both offensive zone defensive zone you know tracking back hard um creating off the rush but also then you know you see with him and jeff skinner down low in the offensive zone he, he's really becoming a, a very an excellent two-way player and uh you know he always drives whether it's a practice or a game he certainly drives our team and it's been fun watching. And, uh, you know, we, we, you know, Phil, myself, Pagulas, we talked a lot over the summer about obviously uh, not having a captain, whether Jack was ready for that. And there's always, we always knew eventually Jack was going to be our captain. You just want, you didn't want to put too much pressure on such a young player. And sometimes these players come into the league at age 18 and you think they're so mature and they've got, you know, everything on their handle, but still there's a lot of pressure when you put a C on the jersey. And instead of adding more pressure to him, he's really t- taken a step in that from a, a leadership standpoint about his practice habits. And you know, the biggest thing I think that's just improved was just their communication with, with Jack. It's, it's nothing mm-hmm. earth shattering, um, but you know, even just in his interaction with myself and, and, and Phil Housley, you know, the previous year, you're talking about things in the summer with him, but it's just sort of a get to know each other. You know, this past summer, you can now, the motion of the season's gone, you can now talk about specifics, such as, hey, Phil's talking this. I know we had a disagreement in, you know, what I was trying to get across in January, but this is what I was trying to accomplish with the team. So you can talk a lot more about specifics. And that's what we've really enjoyed interacting with Jack is at the, at the heart of it. He, he's a sports nut. He's a hockey nut. Yeah. He loves talking about the mm-hmm. game. He loves talking about the, the details of the game. And that's what's been exciting about just, us having a little bit of success here is now we can talk about specifics like, okay, you know, wh- how do we want to do better in that front, uh, creating more traffic in front of the net instead of like, Oh my goodness, we can't even get the puck out of our own zone, uh, which was the situation was last year. So now that we can talk about some of those, those little details that will hopefully allow us to have uh, better results down the road. Uh, Jason, just before we let you go, you mentioned, a player who's having a marvelous season, obviously, in Jeff Skinner. And, you know, it's it's interesting because, you know, the Carolina Hurricanes made it pretty clear uh, when they decided that they were going to to, to part ways with, with Jeff Skinner that it, it was, they didn't feel he was a fit. And that was, you know, that was their decision. And so that's why he was on the marketplace. And and I wonder what you've seen in Jeff that maybe has surprised you or, or why he's been such a good fit for you. As we chat, he's got 22 goals uh, tied for the second most in the NHL right now. He's got five game winners. Uh, he has been incredible. And for a guy who's coming to the end of his contract, uh, I know that we like to think of the sort of the, the cash register continuing to ring every time he scores. And I wonder what you think of when you think of Jeff Skinner and why it's been such a good fit for him with the Buffalo Sabres and, and maybe what his future is with you guys well you know i i will i will agree it's been it's an, been an amazing fit so far this year and just you know you saw it again last night him scoring our second goal which was a, another game winner for him and uh you know just a smile on his face you can see he's enjoying the game of hockey and uh we talked a lot about it this summer and that's why we felt there was a fit and uh, once we started getting into discussions with carolina here uh just we wanted to improve our, our even strength scoring um we wanted to bring a player in. and what I underestimated was the impact that Jeff Skinner was going to have on Jack Eichel, Sam Reinhart, Ristolainen, and because I was bringing in a player that helped them out right now. It wasn't in the future. It wasn't something developed. It was a player that was going to help them out right now. And that really invigorated some of our, our players here, which was great to see. Um, but we've talked a lot about it. If we were going to change the results here in Buffalo, we had to bring in players who are excited about being in Buffalo 
And it's, it's easy to, t- to talk about changing things, but it's, it's difficult. And there's always going to be ups and downs. And we've even seen it in this year. And while there's been a lot of positives, um, you know, behind the scenes, it's, it's always difficult sometimes. And there's going to be difficult moments. And um, you have to w- work through that. And the fact that Jeff waived his no trade to come to Buffalo w- was a huge thing for us. And it's just like Jack Eichel signing an eight-year contract here. Rasmus Dolan having a huge smile on his face, wanting to come to Buffalo. Um, that's how you change results here. And uh, Jeff's come in here, and we'd heard rumors about, you know, how he t- takes care of himself off the ice and everything like that. And that was evident from day one when he got in here. Um, just his practice habits, how hard he worked in practice, the enthusiasm he brought. And I think that's a balance that we didn't have last year. Last year, maybe we were too loosey-goosey in practice, having too much fun. Or other times we were too serious, you know, banging sticks against the glass type of thing and, and not enjoying the moment. And we've found a balance here of, of work, but also having fun. And uh, where I think Jeff's been just a great fit is that he's, you know, probably impressed me even more with his low play than I ever anticipated. Um, and I think as Jack and him have developed chemistry out there, uh, they're realizing just, you know, uh, I think Jeff looks for Jack a lot through the neutral zone. And then once you get into the offensive zone, Jack knows where Jeff's going to be. He's going to be right around the net or right behind the net type of thing. And just his ability to win those one-on-one battles and find a way to find those loose pucks in front of the net uh, has been really, really impressive. And, uh, no, like there's certainly the contract thing, thing down the road. Um, we've you know, been talking to Newport Sports at the start of the, start of the season when we could make the trade with uh, to, to bring Jeff in that, hey, let's just start the season. Let's get through things. There's always going to be more time later on to discuss contract. That's worked out very well, but, you know, yes, obviously we'd love to get Jeff signed down the road, and uh, uh, we've been ecstatic about, uh, of the fit so far. Right. Well, it's uh, hard to imagine that uh, you could have uh, scripted out a better uh, start for, for both Jeff Skinner and for the for the Buffalo Sabres. So, uh, any parting shots here that you want to make before we, we cut you loose, Jason? <laughs> you know, the floor is yours. I, I generally don't let the last word to anyone but myself, but uh, uh, any any parting thoughts that you want to, to to leave us with? No, I appreciate you guys taking it easy on me today. Thank you so much, and I, I just wish all you guys the best in uh, uh, with the holiday season here, for sure. Right. You too, Thanks, Jason. Thanks, 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 thanks for joining Jason. us, Jason. I, I, I mean, it, it, it's always interesting to talk to Jason Botterill because he, he's a guy, and he alluded to it, but uh, he and I spoke after uh, Craig, you and I, and Pierre sat down with Jack Eichel at the player tour, and, and I think all three of us were like, holy cow, is that really Jack Eichel? And yeah, his, it was a different kid. Yeah, and, and Jason talked earlier about how that was really important. Um, you know, that that was an important process to go through going into the season. And and I wonder, you know, what, so I'll ask both of you guys this. Is, is, is it a mirage? I mean, they, they did fall off the map a little bit after the 10-game winning streak. But, boy, they've really they, – they haven't – they've righted it very quickly. Still, as, as we mentioned, third best record uh, in the Eastern Conference, one of the top teams in the NHL. Is, are they for real? Or can we pencil them into the playoffs now? Is this something that's going to happen? Yeah, I, I mean, I think Boston will end up. Uh, third in that division as the Bruins get healthier. But I do think the Sabres have an excellent chance of, of making the playoffs. I mean, it's interesting. Buffalo, Montreal trying to get into that one of those wild card spots. I think Pittsburgh's going to make a run at some point. So it's going to be close. But there's a, there's a lot to unpack here. I, I, I want to sort of make a note on Skinner. I mean, Carolina's taking a pounding now for, for that trade, obviously. The, w- one thing to remember is that once Carolina decided to, to trade Skinner, he had a full no trade. So I think a lot of people don't realize this, but uh, I know you guys do, but it's not like Carolina was allowed to shop him around the league. <laughs> and they, it, my understanding is I think they only got three teams given to them, right? So, and, and I think Pittsburgh was one of them. And of course, the Penguins did have conversations with Carolina, but no way under that sour cap mm-hmm. in Pittsburgh that Jimmy Rutherford could swing it. Of course, he, he, he knew Jeff Skinner well. Um, and I don't know whether Toronto was a third team. I haven't confirmed that, but of course the Leafs after Tavares, I would have never been a, a, a fit. So, uh, now would Jeff Skinner have waived to go to another place? I mean, I know that LA and Carolina had had some conversations, but then the Kings signed Kovalchuk instead, who knows? But I guess what I'm saying is, you know, if you're going to criticize the hurricanes, it's not so much for how poor a return they got on from the Sabres. I think it's, I guess the criticism would be, why did you want to trade them to begin with? 
Yeah, that's it. like especially the optics aren't great when the owner's coming out saying, "You know what we need is a sniper." You know, we need some goals. And meanwhile, there's a guy sitting in Buffalo with 22 goals. Now, I, but I will say this: in defense of Carolina, is you know sometimes it takes that change of scenery to really get a guy going, and and the fit, as Jason alluded to, has been perfect there. And mm-hmm. maybe he, you know, realistically, he probably doesn't have 22 goals in Carolina right now, but um, certainly, certainly, you know, the optics aren't great there. But to, Scott, but, to answer your question, I think I think Buffalo gets in, I, but I, probably by the you know skin of their teeth. Like I, I don't think it's we can certainly. I'm, I'm not penciling them in just yet, but I, I I love that team and it, it was good. I'm glad you asked Pierre about the trade deadline because I, I think that's the exact right approach. They are sitting there with with all these first round picks, and I don't think they have to draft players with all those picks. But I, I like Jason's answer in that if we are going to make a move, it's going to be for a young player that's around and going to be part of this. And I think those players will be available. And, and, and where you're not necessarily trading that first for a rental, you're trading them for a for a player who's maybe 25, 26 years old and and or younger, ideally. And I, and I think that's a that's a, a smart play by Buffalo. I, I mean, just like 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 what an incredible year the last 12 months for Jason Botterill, uh, his trusted veteran Lieutenant Randy Sexton. I mean, you know, they got four first round picks coming in the next two years, you know, two of their own and St. Louis and San Jose already a great young team. They took a gamble in Carter Hutton. What a fit. Uh, you know, the Ryan O'Reilly deal is a, is a complete blockbuster. Yeah. We're arguably the best player in the deal heads to St. Louis and O'Reilly's played fine this year on, on what has been a disaster of a season that, team-wise in St. Louis, but, you know, I, I'm going to tell you, I, I don't know that Jason Brawler probably would have talked about this with us on this, you know, publicly, but my understanding of the the, the season-ending player exit meetings in Buffalo, I think it was an eye-opener for Jason Botterill. I think it was like, wow, I have to change things here. Mm-hmm. Like like the culture and and the psyche of the team after another losing season, and he went out and did that. Uh, I mean... You know, I, there's a lot of good candidates for GM of the year and lots of hockey to be played. But, boy, it's hard to imagine Jason Botterill won't be among those three, you know, or at least among the, the guys that, that people are going to talk about. And I thought well, his I, smartest was winning the lottery. I thought that was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I mean, it's interesting. And you're right. There's a lot of hockey yet to play, right? I mean, we're 30. Buffalo's played <clears throat> 32 games. We've chatted. So only 50 left. But... They're now, they're 11 points ahead of ninth place right now. Sorry, 10 points ahead of ninth place right now. So that's a, that's a pretty good cushion. And again, having come out of their first, well, they started, you know, in a pretty mediocre fashion and then, you know, have come out of a very mini swoon. I don't know. I I think there's, you have to give Phil Housley a lot of credit there because, you know, a lot of pressure on Phil Housley after last year um, and they got off to a pretty um, again, pretty lukewarm start. Uh, he's uh, he's a guy for me that should be definitely in consideration. You know, if we if we <laughs> we like to give out midseason awards, but Phil Housley deserves a lot of credit for what he's done there in, in implementing a plan that really uh, plays to the strengths of that roster. Um, and and Pierre, what about how about a first round Toronto Buffalo matchup? I mean, how how much fun would that be right now? Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, you know, obviously, I'm based in Toronto. Um, I think the Lightning. Even though the Leafs played an unbelievable game in Tampa last night, you know the Lightning winning that game. You know, like it's hard not to think Tampa won't win that division, which was my pick anyway, and I think Craig's pick. Uh, just that they've already got a bit of a lead here on the Leafs, but Eight we'll points. see. It, yeah, I mean, we'll see injuries and everything else. But at the end of the day, if Toronto indeed ends up second in the Atlantic, where I think they, that's where they're headed, they're either playing Boston again, which is juicy enough, Oof. Buffalo with the rivalry, or God forbid, for the first time since 1979, the Montreal Canadiens. So, I mean, the, the, the three possibilities within the Atlantic, if the, if the Leafs are a second, are, are pretty phenomenal. Uh, if Gosh, you know, there's one of those the teams you mentioned that I would way rather not have if I'm the Maple Leafs. Like, I don't mind a young Buffalo team that's hap- maybe happy just to be there, right? Like, they're, right. They're, they're a couple years away, I would think, from being serious, you know, making a run. But man, that ball, like another Toronto Boston, like again to the. I mean, there's always going to be in a league with this kind of parity. There's always going to be tough matchups early, but holy smokes, that, those are two good teams and, going and, at it. And and I think of those three teams, Montreal would be the most overmatched team against the Leafs. But here's the weird thing about it: 
I'm telling you, you'd have to live here to know it. The first time those two teams hooking up since 1979, the kind of white noise and pure chaos yeah. that that would create would not necessarily be the friend of the Toronto Maple Leafs. I mean, the Leafs would go into that series as such a heavy favorite on paper, and I would certainly pick them to win. But you got Carey Price and Abstein with the craziness of those two original six Canadian markets saying, well, what do we have to lose? So I, right. I, I got to tell you, I don't know if the Leafs would want that matchup either, just for the, the off-ice spectacle that it would be. And Carey Price, right? Like, you know, all it takes is him just being Carey Price. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, oh, time to wrap things up on this edition of Two Man Advantage. What a what a great uh, time, Craig. Uh, any parting thoughts? Uh, stuff you're working on? Things that uh, oh, just you know, random thought before you uh, before we we close things out here. No, I just uh, appreciate you guys having me on, and uh, it, and yeah, it was good. It was fun. I, I, it was it was fun to me to listen to Jason Botterill, even though he's taking shots at my my uh, college. You know, he's a he's a Michigan guy, well educated, and and I, he doesn't give. What I enjoyed about that was I, he doesn't just give kind of canned answers, right? Like he's. He's he's really like there's there's an analysis in his answers and you know the, the, where they were looking for you know five on five improvement and and uh, you could just you can just hear his mind working and and it's not surprising to to me despite his educational background the, the success he's having <laughs> despite well, <laughs> well and kudos to Pierre for for lining Jason Botterill up this is uh, yeah, that was nice. all Pierre is doing good. so good good job by Pierre Pierre any uh, any parting thoughts uh, before we close out. Yeah, I hope you guys lose your fantasy football semifinals because uh, you don't because you, you don't deserve to be there. But uh, other than that, although you're welcome for Ezekiel Elliott, I mean, I told you yeah. a few years ago when you drafted him, you're welcome. It's you're welcome thing for that, what? Like for us assembling a, a great team. It's the one thing that Craig and I did right. Always get tomorrow late in his rookie year, and then Nick Chubb late this year. How about that? Yep. I don't know. Whatever. Whatever. All right, boys, a ton of fun as always. Craig, thanks for dropping by. Uh, Pierre, as always, uh, we'll do it. Uh, we'll do one more time before uh, before the Christmas break. So we'll uh, we'll look forward to that. But uh, thanks for dropping by, Craig, and and always a ton of fun for the three of us to get together again. Yeah. All thanks, right. Next, next time we'll do this with uh, Bloody Caesars. Right on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cool. We're good to go. Great All job, right. guys. Yeah, okay. great job. Fun. Yeah, thanks, Craig. Craig, uh, let's uh, let's chat more later today about our lineup. Call me when you're free. Okay, I will. All right. See, See you, Pierre. Bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, I'll, uh, Brandon, I'll send you a note right away. Sounds good. Thanks. Okay. Yep.